2018, our first live broadcast of the new year. The world keeps on turning, and the powers keep on lying. And we're going to talk about what they're lying about today. Uh, and, of course, it's interesting as we look at the year going ahead. Uh, we haven't spent too much time looking back. Uh, we'll look a little bit uh, back, but let's uh, look ahead mostly this year. Uh, we're going to talk about what's been going on in Iran, as well as North Korea. Uh, important updates over this last uh, weekend as well as what's going on with the economy. What can we expect in the coming year? We've seen a lot of retail sales that uh, had record levels. Nevertheless, they're still expecting uh, many more bankruptcies from brick-and-mortar retailers and the people who are running the malls, the ones who are looking at these jobs numbers so closely, and they're very concerned about what's uh, ahead. Uh, We're also going to be talking about uh, jobs. Reluctantly, the Guardian said uh, President Trump, yeah, kind of delivered on it. They couldn't actually say that he delivered on jobs, but he actually did. And we're going to talk about how that may get even better and the politics. What is coming up in the new year? We've had a vacation from Washington for a brief period of time. Uh, Now they are coming back. What are they going to try to do to our lives? Are they going to leave us alone? Are they going to come after us in more detail? Well, I'll give you just one guess as to what's going to be happening. We're going to take a look at what their priorities are uh, as they return. I think probably the best retrospective of the last year was from Scott Adams, uh, the guy who writes the the Dilbert column and many other things as well. Uh, He has a blog called The Burning Platform. He's been a guest with us, and I I thought he's he's always very insightful, very clever. He said uh, the election was really won based on the two slogans. Just look at the the, uh, psychology of uh, both of these candidates. Trump comes out and says, let's make America great again. Make, build, uh, great America. And Hillary says... uh, I'm with her. <laughs> it was all about her. It was all about her personal politics. And, of course, the politics of personal destruction. Uh, people uh, criticize President Trump for that, and he does come after his enemies. But what she was doing was destroying personal relationships, destroying, really, a community that she says she supports so much by dividing and conquering people, by playing identity politics. And, of course, her campaign was just one big identity politics game. But Scott Adams had an interesting thing to say in his blog. He calls uh, President Trump the demolition president. And he said a lot of people who voted for Trump did so because they wanted to toss a bomb at the establishment. And Trump has given them what they wanted. I have to say, (laughs) that was my number one reason for voting for President Trump. And he has delivered on that. He has taken out a lot of people. Here's an example. He says the GOP. Trump broke the GOP and reconstructed it along his terms. Successfully, it seems. The DNC. The DNC has no charismatic leader, no game plan, and little money. The Clinton dynasty, gone. The Bush dynasty, done. He says mainstream media, public learned that news coverage is based on bias as much as fact. And with the NFL, he says, you know, ratings are down and attendance is down. And I point out, uh, you know, you don't it didn't need to be killed, but it did need to be reformed. Because we've been saying for a very long time here at InfoWars that the NFL is part of a massive social agenda manipulation. It is part of the programming for the public, whether it's the new security procedures that you're supposed to accept, uh, 
or other forms of political correctness, like kneeling in protest with Black Lives Matter socialists. So, yes, these institutions that President Trump has taken on this last year, and that includes Washington establishment in general, that needed to be done. And um, it's very important. Uh, the demolition president, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when we come back. One of the other things that I thought was interesting, a couple of articles on the Hill. Listen to these two headlines here. We'll talk more about this when we come back. 2017 was the safest year ever for commercial air travel with zero deaths. And then the next one, the TSA's lax performance amounts to security theater. Security theater. The Hill is saying the TSA is security theater. That is the way that I refer to it every time. What does that tell you? When they their, their uh, procedures are totally ineffective and nobody's dying. We'll be right back. It's good news that nobody's dying. Bad news is their security procedures. It's the real news. Live from the InfoWars.com studios in Austin, Texas, it's your host, David Knight. It's 2018. Let's hope that it is a better year as we look forward. Uh, it's, many things have improved over this last year. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, that, but we're going to mainly be looking forward. You know, one of the things that happened last year, as I was mentioning at the top of the hour, 2017 was the safest year ever for commercial air travel. And they, they qualify that as commercial jet travel. Nobody died on commercial jets. They did have deaths from cargo planes and commercial passenger propeller planes. Uh, Ten uh, fatal incidents in 2017 resulting in 44 deaths on board aircraft and 35 deaths on the ground. But for the most part, uh, there were no failures in terms of crashes. And when we look at what's going on in the airports in terms of uh, security, I thought it was very interesting that the Hill, both of these articles from the Hill, point out that the TSA's lax performance amounts to security theater. How many times were we reported on this? Year after year, I report on the failures of the TSA when they are audited by the Homeland Security Inspector General. They go through and they run tests to see if the TSA can intercept threats. Uh, so they set up a scenario, see if their procedures can uh, determine these scenarios, and they don't. If they're failing 80 to 90 to 95 percent of the time, and they won't give us the exact numbers in terms of uh, that because it's so low, but if they're failing virtually every test, what does that tell you? It tells you that there is no threat there. And we've been told that in the past. As I pointed out multiple times, John Corbett, who is a engineer, had taken on these body scanners that were put in after the false flag attack of the underwear bomber, and he showed that they were not effective in terms of uh, in terms of um, uh, catching anything. He showed how they could be easily defeated by putting a weapon on his side, for example. And then he sued the TSA uh, for various reasons. And as part of that suit, he was able to do discovery. However. The government wanted to redact the information that he discovered. They have a website called Pacer.gov where they put up information about federal lawsuits. And so these documents that he got to see as a uh, person in the lawsuit were redacted by the federal government, but they made a mistake, and they put up the unredacted stuff. 
So we were able to see for a while there, and we captured the uh, screenshots. You can see them on Infowars.com. We wrote several articles about it at the time. We interviewed him at the time. Back in 2011, as they were threatening to turn Texas into a no-fly zone because we said we've had enough of your uh, of your manhandling us as we go through uh, security. We don't want to be x-rayed or uh, molested in order to fly, and we don't want our children molested. And so we had it passed unanimously in the House here in Texas, but then they stopped it in the Senate as the federal government got involved with our lieutenant governor, who was a former CIA uh, career officer, had become our lieutenant governor. So they stopped that. They stopped that. But we could see that at the exact same time, they were threatening to turn Texas into a no-fly zone back in 2011. They were saying there are currently no threats against airplanes or airports. And we can see that that is the case, because if they are totally ineffective in terms of interdicting threats, then there is no threat. And it is security theater. Maybe you should call it the Theatrical Security Administration, the TSA, because that's truly what it is. Actually, their their policies uh, make uh, security even worse, as security experts have pointed out. You bunch people up at the entrance to something, it just makes it easier uh, for them to be harmed. And there you can see the... Uh, previous uh, uh, articles that we've had talking about that. But let's talk about this last year in terms of President Trump. As Scott Adams, uh, Dilbert creator, pointed out, the demolition president, he said uh, President Trump delivered on a number of promises for his base, uh, but there was an impressive amount of breakage along the way. And as he pointed out, a lot of us wanted to see that. Yours truly included. There are a lot of things in Washington that needed to be destroyed. Among them, the Clinton dynasty, the Bush dynasty, the DNC, and the GOP establishment. He lists all those different things. And then some other things. He says, uh, look at FBI leadership. He said the FBI as a whole is still highly credible, but the leadership no longer is. Pundits, nearly all the pundits were wrong about Trump's nomination, about his election, and about his successful first year. Succeeding in what he wanted to do. Of course, he, he qualifies that, says, by Republican standards. Clearly, the Democrats didn't want him to succeed on the things that he promised to do, but he did. Government regulations. He said, for good or bad, we have fewer regulations now. Hollywood, big stars are alienated 40% of their potential audience every time they take time off from groping. Uh, he goes on to say, Scott Adams says, North Korea, they used to have a pathetic but functioning economy. That situation is changing rapidly. ISIS, remember ISIS? They used to be a big deal. TPP, pulled out. Paris Climate Accord, pulled out. Reality, he says, I told you in 2015, candidate Trump would change more than politics. I told you that he would change the way we saw reality. Do you remember when we thought the news reported facts and that humans use those facts to make reasoned decisions? You probably don't think that anymore. <laughs> he says, and I'm probably leaving some things out. It's been a busy year. Yes, it has. It has. A lot of things have been broken. A lot of things have the, the power of the global establishment. I mean, you just look at those two things, the TPP and the Paris Climate Treaty. Uh, you know, there's three things that were existential threats to our sovereignty as a nation. The first one, he removed immediately, the TPP. The next one, Paris Climate Accord, because that both of these were about taking decisions about our economy uh, and turning them over to a global institution that was not elected and not accountable to us. And those things were living institutions that could change without any input from us. The TPP was not a bulwark against China. China could have been added the very next day, probably would have been added. They'd given it uh, a little bit of time, maybe a year, and then added China to the TPP. 
It was about creating supranational organizations that would exercise sovereignty over the United States. And that is something that is a trend that has been remarkably reversed with Trump, with Brexit, and we're now seeing that percolate through in Europe. But here's, you know, if you think about uh, the Clintons and just uh, what straits they're in right now. (laughs) Bill Clinton went on Twitter and begged for money. (laughs) This is from Truthbeat. And it backfired on him spectacularly. Here's what he did. He actually had the nerve to go on Twitter and ask for money for the Clinton Foundation. And by the way, we're going to have Charles Ortel joining us today. He is an expert on the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton crime family. And I wanted to talk to him because of the executive order that President Trump put out on December the 21st, essentially uh, making RICO statutes international, but also specifically naming individuals who were connected to the Clinton uh, Foundation and Bill and Hillary Clinton. It is something I think we need to watch very carefully. Frankly, as I said the first time I looked at this, I am not a fan of RICO statutes. We have seen how they've been abused. I'm not a fan of civil asset forfeiture, which has been used in the drug laws to take people's property without ever getting a conviction, let alone even uh, uh, charging them with a crime. They don't charge you. They just take your property. So it is so far away from the rule of law. I'm very concerned about those things. But uh, this is a favorite tactic of prosecutors, especially people like Attorney General Sessions. So when I look at this, the question is, uh, and we had this discussion last week with Jerome Corsi, with Lee Stranahan. You can go back and look at those videos. Lee thinks, Lee Stranahan thinks that this is a warning shot to the Clintons. I'm more inclined to think, if it was any other politician, I would think that they would just be putting this out there as a warning. Back off. Stop the Russia nonsense. Or I'm going to come take what you've got. But I think uh, President Trump is very different from other presidents. Obviously, we just talked about how he's a demolition president. Maybe what he's going to do now is demolish the Clinton Foundation and take away their funds. And so Charles Ortel is going to be joining us. But when we look at the way people uh, trolled Bill Clinton, he comes out and says, the Clinton Foundation's programs are helping people to improve their lives. Together we can help more people improve even more lives. And people come back, how dare you, Bill Clinton, ask for money? I know you're both counting on her being president to fill your foundation, but the party's over for both of you. Don't lie about tripling it because he says, hey, I will personally triple your money if you donate. Because <laughs> he's got so much money that they gave him for his quote-unquote Russian speeches. Yeah, he's got plenty of cash. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm David Knight. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight. Before we get back to the news, I want to, and we've got several things up here. I want to tell you just how bad a year it's been for Hillary Clinton. You know, talked at the beginning of the hour, Scott Adams' excellent blog on how Trump had been demolishing the DNC. Uh, the Bush and Clinton dynasties, even the establishment uh, GOP. But things are really extra bad for Hillary Clinton. And we've got a list of her five worst moments coming up here in just a moment. Before we do, real quickly, I want to remind you of some of the New Year specials. We've extended our Christmas discounts and our uh, free shipping into the new year. 
because right now is a great time to get started on looking after your health. People typically do that with a New Year's resolution. And this is a great way to do it, being conscious of what you do in terms of your health. Looking for pure food, looking for pure water, having a uh, pro-pure filter, something like that, to make sure that you're not getting uh, things in your water that you don't want. You just want water, right? You don't want to have glyphosates that uh, seep into the aquifer from your uh, neighbors if you live in a rural area, or you don't want the things that have been put in there or left in there by the municipal water system if you're in an urban area. So it's a great time. To uh, get a ProPure filter, we got 25% off plus free shipping. Big discount, big savings there because those are big ticket items. 25% off and free shipping on those bulky items. We also have many of our most popular health products, 50% off with free shipping. Super Male Vitality, Brain Force Plus, Survival Shield X2 Nascent Iodine, Secret 12, our vitamin B12 formula. All of our Super Blue products, that's our toothpaste and mouthwash. And, of course, those don't have fluoride in them. They have instead the good halogen. Uh, they have iodine, and they also have nano silver. A great way, the two of those together, a great way to get rid of bacteria that cause gum disease, that leads to tooth loss, and even to heart disease. So if you try, if you haven't tried Super Blue, it's a great time to try it now. And if you have tried it, I'm sure you're going to want to take advantage of the 50% off with free shipping. Also, all of our InfoWars Life Select products, 50% off with free shipping. And even things like Silver Bullet, 67% off with free shipping. We have several people uh, in my family as well as in the crew who are uh, sick with uh, various bugs. I tell you what, Silver Bullet. And having silver, it's a great way to fight back. I never travel without it because it's a great way to fight not only bacteria but viruses. And now that is 67% off with free shipping. So take a look at the products that we have at InfoWarsStore.com. That's what funds this operation and these programs that we've added as well as the Alex Jones Radio Show. All right, let's take a look at uh, Hillary Clinton's five worst moments of 2017. As Breitbart points out, uh, 2016 was a bad year for <laughs> When she saw her lifelong ambition of ruling us go down in flames. But then 2017 seemed to get even worse. And we're hoping that 2018 is going to be even, even worse for Hillary. Uh, it started out with a long speaking tour. The uh, I'm owed an apology tour, as they put it in Breitbart. Uh, she blamed everybody and everyone, institutions, countries, individuals. You know, we got uh, multiple mentions from Hillary Clinton, uh, both on the tour and in her book. We're very proud of that. We're so uh, proud of the fact that we are part of what happened to Hillary Clinton. If she wants to blame it all on external sources, certainly we get part of the credit for that. And then it concluded with uh, L.A. Times saying, Hillary, I love you, but please go away. That was their op-ed piece. Then the book, What Happened? And again, continuing on with the self-pity, I didn't do anything wrong. Why didn't you choose me as your leader uh, attitude that Hillary Clinton had? They uh, said even when she started to get close to the truth, she still blamed it on other people. For example, I just thought the American people cared more about policy than theatrics. See, <laughs> she still can't. Now, I was there all about policy. Really? What What was that policy? Was that policy uh, men against women, whites against blacks, uh, identity politics, socialism, uh, let's redistribute income? I mean, uh, there was a little bit of a policy there. But for the most part, Hillary Clinton focused on identity politics. It was on her identity. It was her turn. Uh, she was the rightful heir to the throne, she believed. But she also pitted one group against the other. Then the uranium scandal resurfaced and got all new life. Remember, it was 
something that came out back in 2015. And so I said, yeah, okay. She says, uh, that's been litigated over and over again. Well, it hasn't been litigated. It may be about to be litigated in courts, uh, but it was discussed going back to 2015. But what was different was the whistleblower who came out in October. And it was first reported uh, in the Hill. It's a ahead of the deal. The FBI had uncovered, quote, substantial evidence that the Russian nuclear industry officials were engaged in bribery, kickbacks, extortion, money laundering. That is why I think this executive order from President Trump is so important, because it hits a lot of these people and it hits the crimes of corruption in foreign countries, people involved in institutions in America that are involved with people who are involved in corruption in other countries. It closes the circle. And it says we're going to come after the money of anybody that we can get to in this country if they're working with corrupt individuals in foreign countries. And that gets to the heart of Uranium One, as well as many other things the Clinton Foundation has done. Uh, liberals then started to look at Bill with the Me Too movement, finally getting his comeuppance from the phony feminists, people like um, Gloria Steinem and uh, Anita Hill, who used their Me Too moments to attack Clarence Thomas, for example, but then immediately rushed to the defense of Bill Clinton as soon as the rape charges came out against Bill Clinton. He was accused, remember, Bill Clinton was accused of things that were more serious than most of the people that we're looking at right now, far more serious. I don't know anybody uh, other than the accusations against Bill Cosby that are any more serious than Bill Clinton. As a matter of fact, you could even say Bill Cosby at least anesthetized his victims before he came after them. Not Bill. Not Bill. Just brutally came after them. Doesn't even give you (laughs) some anesthesia for your experience with him. Vanity Fair then finished up the year, and we played this for you on Friday, saying that Hillary should take up knitting. Remember that clip? Uh, Hey, Hillary, take up a new hobby in the new year. Volunteer work, knitting, improv comedy, literally anything that will keep you from running again. They all took their turns to uh, tell Hillary to please just go away. That is the perspective now of the left. After she came out, blaming everybody and everyone, especially her fellow Democrats, uh, for what had happened to her. Everybody's just saying, please go away. Then, fake news. Remember, fake news became so popular this last year, thanks to President Trump taking on the media. And it's kind of interesting because so many people have put out this article saying, it is the word of the year, fake news. Well, that's not even a single word. So that is fake news. That's two words. Fake news is two words. It is not word of the year. But, yes, I understand that CNN would like for it to be banished. They wrote an op-ed piece saying, please banish fake news. Well, we're trying, CNN. We're trying to get rid of you. That's what we're trying to do It's to banish fake news. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting as we look at the end of the year how this has taken on a life of its own. But I think the other part of this, besides fake news, is censorship. Fake news may have been exposed. We still have a ways to go before we really understand what's going on with censorship, the full extent of it, the full extent of how the narrative is truly controlled in this country. And we won't understand that until Americans wake up to what the surveillance state's role in manipulating your mind is. Stay with us when we come back. We're going to talk about what's going on in Iran. And, of course, manipulation of social media and manipulation by George Soros play a part there. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Real News with David Knight. Deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And now, your host, David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight. Mainstream media will tell you that the uh, word of the year last year was fake news. And as I point out, that's not even a word. It's two words. The real word of the year, I think, should be censorship. And we're going to talk about that. Because it's going on right now in Iran. It's the way governments react to things. They censor social media. They censor real media. They let the fake media, like CNN, go. They don't do anything about that. You know, there's interesting articles up on Infowars.com. German political leader is under investigation over tweets about Muslim rape gangs. Now, this is not a conspiracy theory by this individual. And I kind of find it interesting, in the Daily Caller article, uh, they take the uh, approach that you would expect to see from kind of a liberal media calling uh, AFD far right and calling her a tweet incendiary uh, because it cast Muslims as violent and rapacious, except that that is based in reality. Remember just a couple of New Year's ago? Uh, it was uh, two years ago that in this very town... What she took exception to was the fact that the Cologne uh, police tweeted out in Arabic, and she said they are pandering to barbaric gang-raping Muslim hordes of men. Well, there were barbaric gang-raping hordes of Muslim men exactly two New Year's Eves ago, and the Cologne police were pandering to them then and trying to cover up their crimes. It took a very long time for the reality of what had happened to come out. They were doing everything they could to conceal it, to conceal what uh, gangs of barbaric uh, gang-raping hordes were doing. That's what the Cologne police were doing. And now they're tweeting to them in Arabic, and she called them on it. And so now what they're saying is that uh, she's, is in, she, she is inciting hatred. She is inciting hatred. The reality is that they had dozens of rapes, uh, hundreds of men running around just raping every woman in sight. And the way that they addressed it was to create a women-only zone and then to tweet out in Arabic to the, to the gang-raping Muslim hordes of men. Uh, she was exactly right. And if that makes me a far-right extremist, uh, to tell the truth, uh, yeah, maybe the word is... Uh, uh, fake news, but it really is about censorship because they want to censor the truth. They did the best they could to conceal it when it got out, and she talks about their their response, which is a non-response. Then they come after her. And in the U.K., of course, the center of all this is the universities. That's where the the center of the movement against free speech has been. And I find it interesting that in the U.K., the w, WND points out uh, they are talking about how universities will be uh, censured if they censor people. And they hold up as an example what has happened on American campuses. Uh, UK's Minister for Universities and Science, and this is a guy who is a brother of Boris Johnson, his name is uh, Joe Johnson, is warning 
that universities that fail to protect free speech for students will face fines. Uh, they've created a new regulator for this. They call it the Office for Students, and they've been given authority to punish any university that stifles legitimate debate. This has become a big issue in all universities. But again, they point out that it's America that is taking the lead in its universities in terms of censoring free speech. He said, in universities in America and worryingly in the UK, we have seen examples of groups seeking to stifle those who do not agree with them. We must not allow this to happen. Young people should have the resilience and the confidence to challenge controversial opinions and to take part in open, frank, and rigorous discussions. I mean, that was what universities were originally set up for, right? To have a healthy debate, to uh, have a marketplace of ideas. But that's not what they're about anymore. Now they're about programming your kids into an orthodoxy that involves statism. They say uh, he, he has uh, identified the tactic of no platforming in which controversial speakers are simply prohibited from speaking. He says other manifestations of this erosion exist in the form of removing certain books from libraries, drawing up a list of extensive lists of trigger words that are undermining to the principle of free speech in our universities and so forth. And, of course, it's not just in the U.K. where people are starting to do something about it. It's here in the U.S. as well. We've seen, uh, and it's listed at the bottom of this uh, article from WND, that the Department of Justice has recently filed a statement of interest to warn schools that they must protect free speech and allow students to express their faith openly on campus. That's what the First Amendment is about. It's about freedom of political speech and ideas as well as a free exercise of religion. It's not about the freedom from religion which is what the courts, there's even an organization called Freedom From Religion that tries to purge any expression of religion out of the public space. No, the First Amendment was about the free exercise of religion, not about putting it in the closet. And they also point out that uh, President Trump has also threatened to withhold federal funding from schools that do not protect freedom of expression for campus speakers. And I think Trump is on a roll with this idea of withholding funding. You know, one of the uh, international stories here is uh, uh, Pakistan where Trump is saying he's going to withhold, I think it's $255 million. He just cut $275 million from the U.N. Uh, let's do the same for the universities. You know, that's one of the way to get their attention. All right, let's talk about what's going on in Iran right now. As I said, I think censorship needs to be at the forefront of what we're looking at here. Whenever Trump criticizes the left, whenever he pushes back against a lie that they put out there by calling it fake news, they scream censorship. No, that's not censorship. That's debate. What the left does is censorship. What the left does is to shut down any discussion by calling people racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever. They have a list of terms. They don't debate the issue with you. They just throw these out uh, as if they were a four-letter word. Uh, that's just a big F you when they start going down their list of, uh, of pejoratives that they throw at people instead of debating issues. And uh, so we want to have that debate. And we want to be able to have that freedom in social media. But there is real censorship that is happening right now in Iran. Uh, they have now blocked access to Instagram and an app that is very popular there called Telegram. It's a messaging app uh, that's uh, been used to publicize these protests that have arisen over the weekend against the Iranian government. Uh, they say that uh, the government began to block Internet access, not just these particular social media apps, but also Internet access on December the 30th in an attempt to prevent protesters from communicating with each other. 
they said the protesters were causing violence and fear by using the Internet. This is the way censorship will proceed whenever it gets uh, gets traction here. And they go back to 2009, the Green Revolution. And we're going to talk about that here in a moment because we cannot forget where this came from. But before we go further into Iran and what is going on there, the loss of life, and we've had uh, more people uh, killed, at least uh, 12 people had died in clashes as of yesterday. 400 people had been arrested over the past five days. Overnight, uh, there have been more people uh, who have died as the confrontations get increasingly violent between both the protesters and the police. Now, the Iranian uh, National Guard are getting involved, and not just the police. And so it's escalating on both sides. But before we get into what's specifically happening in Iran, and while we're talking about, oh, look at this, the Iranian uh, dictators are shutting down the Internet. They're shutting down these social media sites. That's what dictators do, isn't it? They always shut down free speech. Well, think about this. As The Intercept pointed out, Facebook says it's deleting accounts at the direction of the U.S. and Israeli governments. Israel threatened Facebook that its failure to voluntarily comply with Israeli deletion orders would result in the enactment of laws that would require Facebook to do so upon pain of being severely fined or even blocked in the country. And, of course, the same thing is happening here in America. You may not realize it. You may not be hearing much about the censorship, but it is happening. And it is very dangerous. Censorship is not what President Trump has been doing in terms of debating uh, the left on the issues. But there is censorship that is coming out of Washington, and it's still coming out of Washington. We're going to talk about that when we come back. We'll take a look at what's going on in Iran. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. about censorship and you know we have to understand that it cuts both ways we don't just complain about censorship when it is against people or issues or groups that we don't like we complain and we can easily see the censorship here by the uh, germans when a female political leader complains about the cologne police pandering to gangs of Muslims who have raped women, and the German response is to the German police's response is to uh, say, we're going to have a zone only for women. That's the way we're going to control this. And then to tweet out in Arabic. That is pandering. And then when she calls it pandering, they want to shut her down. But understand it also goes the other way. Uh, we take a look at uh, Israel, that is uh, strong-arming, and, and they're not the only government to do it. All the governments are doing this. China, Israel, United States, Russia, they all do this. They're all leaning on social media. Uh, the U.S. is also doing it to shut down people that they don't like, people they don't agree with. And when we look at what's happening in the U.S., the example that is in The Intercept is to say that, uh, give an example. Take the worst-case example here. Let's take the worst-case person here. Here's Ramzan Kadyrov. He is the uh, leader of the Chechen Republic. Everybody understands that, as I point out, he's repressive, he's brutal, he's authoritarian, and he has 4 million followers. <laughs> uh, 
I guess uh, you would want to uh, know uh, where this guy is going if you're on his bad list. But he has. You, you could say that it would be worthwhile for Facebook to censor somebody like that. But it's being done on the orders of the U.S. government simply because the U.S. government orders it. Not because of his conduct. But Facebook gives the reason that, well, it was because of uh, a U.S. government order. So even though he's done all these different things like... Uh, imprisoning, torturing LGBTs, to kidnapping and killing dissidents, and so forth and so on. The reason that they give is because uh, they have been told by, they point out here, the uh, rationale for this, uh, Facebook spokesperson told the New York Times, was that uh, Mr. Kadyrov's accounts were deactivated because he had been added to a list, a list by the United States. And so the company was legally obligated to act. This is in the same category as a no-fly list. Now, you can have legitimate terrorists that are added to a no-fly list, but the question is, what is the procedure for this? And if we're going to have blacklists that are being created by the government for travel, for speech, that is very disturbing. They didn't offer the rationale that this guy is a mass murderer that he's a tyrant. No, the rationale was, well, he's on a government list, and we do exactly what the government says to shut down free speech. This is why there are going to have to be other structures to come out to get around the censorship of these uh, companies who operate at the pleasure of governments. They point out the unilateral and the unchecked power to force the removal of anyone that they want from Facebook and Instagram by simply putting them on a sanctions list. That's what you should be concerned about. And when we look at what is going on in Iran, understand that that in principle is the same thing. If we're going to criticize that in Iran, and we should, we also need to criticize it in our country when it happens. And understand the dangerous precedent that it sets. And understand that you shut down people on either side of the spectrum, uh, that is not what we want to do. And the left's rhetoric, in the same way that when they call everybody a racist, it denigrates real racism. And when they complain about political debate and call it censorship, they ignore at the same time the real censorship that is developing, the precedents that are being set in our country to take out anybody that the government doesn't like. And it isn't going to stop at murderous dictators. We know where this is headed. And we also understand that as uh, certain individuals, certainly if Hillary Clinton were in there, we would be seeing uh, uh, bills to shut down. Uh, media like InfoWars right now. I certainly would. Nevertheless, as we look at what is uh, happening in Iran, we now have the Revolutionary Guard. That's Iran's elite jackbooted thugs are now getting involved as the escalation is uh, on both sides is ramping up. This is now the fifth day of protests, and there's new reports of gunmen inside the crowds as uh, demonstrators have emerged. And in context to all this, People are looking at this and saying, well, um, the Israelis are saying, so far, no threat to the regime. An Israeli intelligence report provided to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his cabinet uh, has been leaked to the media and suggests the Iranian regime was taken by surprise, but is not in danger of collapse, at least not yet. And even though we see all those people out there, understand what happened. Uh, It's a good time to take a look at uh, Tiananmen Square, for example, as well. Understand that we were told uh, that it was about 3,000 people. That's commonly reported, the number of people who died at Tiananmen Square. Now, the Chinese Red Cross said that it was about 2,700 civilians. The Chinese government said, oh, it's only about two or 300 people. 
Well, recently declassified British diplomatic cable uh, from the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre said, and this was done just 24 hours after the mass killing, puts it at about 10,000 people. And they cited as a source the Chinese military uh, claiming that the Communist Party of China had placed the number of dead civilians at 10,454. Very specific. And so that matches the uh, statement of uh, Sir Allen, who had uh, cabled this. He said a minimum estimate of civilian dead, 10,000. That is why these protests at the moment do not pose any threat to this authoritarian regime. They have the tanks, and they have the will to kill people. Now, an Arab intel official is saying that there is no sign of external involvement in the Iranian protests. Frankly, I don't believe that. I think this is something that has been a lot of external involvement for quite some time. If we go back to 2009, which a lot of people have talked about, and they all are uh, carrying the green flag, you understand that it is not just the green flag of Islam, but it is also the color revolution uh, that was started in 2009, including George Soros, including the Obama administration, the same way that they did the color revolutions in other countries, including the Ukraine. And when we look at this, I'm not so sure. We can... We can always look at this and say, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And clearly, the Ayatollahs are not good guys. But the question is, what is going to come after them? Uh, who are these other people? And is it even going to succeed? One of the people involved in this from the very beginning, uh, going back even before the 2009 revolution, was George Soros. If we go back and we look at even foreign policy, going back to 2011, Soros and the State Department moving Iran toward an open society. Now, foreign policy thought this was a great idea. Foreign policy is a lot of globalist elitists. New World Order, that is the uh, probably the, the journal of the New World Order, is foreign policy uh, journal. And as they pointed out, they said after regimes in Egypt and Tunisia fell, we saw fighting breaking out across Libya. Billionaire philanthropist and investor George Soros saw it fit to provide his insight in the situation. He said at that time, Iran will be overthrown in the bloodiest of revolutions. That's what Soros said. Uh, and he said, oh, it's because of economic inequality and government corruption. And they pointed out, and this is in 2011, this is two years after the 2009 uh, Green Movement failed. Uh, they said remnants of the 2009 Green Movement inspired the cries that were taken to the street in a new series of protests, and that was in 2011. So it has ramped up more now over this last weekend. But I think the origin of this, and this should concern you, uh, even though we see the celebrations about, okay, great, maybe Iran is going to collapse, uh, we saw what happened when Libya collapsed, didn't we? Did it get better? Muammar Gaddafi was not a good guy. But did it get better after it collapsed? Do we want a government that has been created by George Soros, as we see him creating unrest and instability everywhere across the globe, doing it with the State Department? That's what they're pointing out, Foreign Policy Journal, back in 2011. George Soros and Obama's State Department were behind that. And, of course, we saw that happening in the Ukraine. Victoria Nuland sending money sending cables. That was all exposed by WikiLeaks and others. But if we go back and uh, we look at the past and how they handled this, we had Obama and, of course, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett is an Iranian. That's one of the reasons that we had this deal with Iran, uh, this uh, giveaway to Iran. You know, her parents 
left America. They left the Chicago. Chicago was too racist for Valerie Jarrett's parents. So they went to live under the Ayatollahs. That should tell you something about the Obama administration. That should tell you something about their orientation towards all this. They'd rather live under the Ayatollahs than to live in Chicago. In Chicago. And so when this came out, they said, uh, uh, you need to just be quiet on Iran. You know, how, how can Trump help Iran's protesters? He should be quiet. He should be quiet. He shouldn't do anything. He should let George Soros and these guys uh, run this revolution. What's going on here? I'm not feeling too good about what's going on in Iran. Yeah, we can we can be happy uh, that these guys who are, who are bad guys are having a rough time. But what is coming next? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'll tell you. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. Disinformation. It's your host, live and uncensored, David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight. So, what is next for Iran? I mean, is uh, the Obama administration, uh, former officials with Susan Rice, uh, tweeting out um, uh, Trump can help Iranian protesters by just being quiet? And of course, she was retweeting a New York Times op ed piece. These are the same people who want to, in every case, create uh, disruption, create revolution, just like George Soros, while claiming they had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh, that is not the case. And yet, when we look at this, uh, you know, we're tempted to say, well, this is, this is a great thing because uh, we don't like the people who are there. And I keep going back to the revolution, in my mind, uh, that happened when I was in college in Iran. Of course, we had set up the Shah of Iran. He was an American puppet. CIA installed. He had a very repressive regime. Had a lot of students uh, in the university where I was going, University of South Florida in engineering, a lot of Iranian students that were there. They were scared to death of the secret police that the American government had worked with the Shah of Iran to create, the Savak. They had protests, and it was very unusual in those days to have, it wasn't unusual to have protests about the Vietnam War. People didn't wear masks, however. So I saw all these people wearing masks, and they weren't getting violent with people. They were you know, protesting, I thought it was kind of odd that they were protesting uh, in this country against their country because at the time I didn't realize I was busy with engineering. I didn't really pay much attention to the politics at the time. And I didn't realize how deeply involved we were. And I didn't realize uh, that the Savak was something that we had created. The CIA had taught them how to do political repression, how to uh, capture people and uh, torture them, how to take reprisals against their family. So that's why they were wearing masks when I asked some of them. I said, what are you guys wearing masks for? Uh, oh, we don't want them to know who we are. They, they record our faces, and then they will arrest, jail, and torture our families for this. That was the background, by the way, that enabled people like the Ayatollah Khomeini to come to power. So we had a part in creating those monsters. Not, you know, I'm not excusing what they did. I'm just saying we need to understand how our foreign policy blows back, as Ron, Ron Paul frequently says. You know, you go in and you overthrow a regime and you establish a very repressive regime along with the secret police and start torturing people. Don't be surprised when you wind up with a regime that chants for 40 years every day, death to America. Uh, there's a lot of hatred 
for America that is stored up there. But, of course, in the Obama administration, uh, you had in Valerie Jarrett, somebody whose parents had a great deal of hatred for the United States as well. Uh, that is what's behind this situation. So when they're saying be quiet, when they're taking the, um, uh, the uh, side of uh, the government that is established there, uh, maybe things are so bad in Iran internationally that the only way to go is up. We'll have to wait and see what happens with it. But I am still very concerned. Every time we see a revolution... Uh, that has George Soros at the bottom of it, and understand he has a lot of fingerprints on what's going on in Iran. It looks just like all these other color revolutions and things that have happened in Libya, and they have not turned out well. When we look at sovereignty, for example, we've got Poland objecting to EU attacks on its national sovereignty. You know, Poland, Hungary, it's four countries who used to be part of the Eastern Bloc, And they know what it's like to live under an authoritarian regime that tells them everything to do. And they are not uh, liking the yoke of the European Union, the political yoke. They thought they were getting in for economic purposes. That's always the lure. Then come the political handcuffs. You know, when I look at this, it made me think about it. Now it is being picked up somewhat by the mainstream media. What happened in the Bundy trial this last year? You know, the Bundy trial was a pushback for our sovereignty. You know, it was a pushback against, it wasn't the European Union telling sovereign states what to do, but it was the federal government telling sovereign states what to do, taking over the land, taking away the property and the free speech rights of the people who are there as protesters. It really is about sovereignty, and it's something that is every bit as much of a problem for this country as it is for the EU. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm David Knight. It's the real news. Live from the InfoWars.com studios in Austin, Texas, it's your host, David Knight. Welcome back. We've been talking about what happened over the weekend in Iran, the unrest that has uh, revitalized itself. Again, going back to before 2009 when it was a, a big green revolution, the connections with George Soros. But we also had, over the weekend, we had some developments in South Korea. We had the, uh, uh, well, North Korea and South Korea. We had a tweet that looked like a a carrot and a stick coming out of the North Korean dictator. He said, uh, well, we'd like to have a peaceful resolution with our southern border, but then also pointed out that he's got uh, nuclear capability to attack the United States, and the launch button is always on the desk in his office. So he offers an olive branch to South Korea, and he offers a nuclear threat to the United States. As CNN points out, uh, he said um, uh, he called for peace on the Korean Peninsula. He said, North and South must work together to alleviate the tensions and to work together as a people of the same heritage to find peace and stability. And as I said before, it's a perfect example to point out what Bernie economics does to a country, to say, yes, Uh, They are a people of the same heritage, same heritage, same genetics. Uh, But look at the difference between North and South Korea. What is the difference there? That's why politics are important. That's why economics are important. Because the difference between North and South Korea isn't just one man. 
It's the political system of dictatorship. It's socialism. It's communism. But he went on to add that uh, North Korean representatives would like to start talks with their South Korean counterparts as soon as possible to discuss sending a delegation to the 2018 Winter Games. Do you think they're prepared? <laughs> hey, 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 guys, I think we're going to be in the Winter Olympics uh, Games next week. Uh, can you guys put together a bobsled team or something? I mean, uh, this is kind of late notice here. But, uh, again, the threat saying the entire mainland of the U.S. is within range of our nuclear weapons, and the nuclear button is always on the desk of my office. They should accurately, I think he means to, uh, meant to say acutely, be aware that this is not a threat, but a reality. So the question is, is he trying to drive a wedge between the U.S. and South Korea? That's what many people believe. Uh, several uh, commentators have pointed that out. Uh, and, of course, the South Korean unification minister has said, of course, we're always willing to hold talks with the North at any time, at any place, in any format. And they are saying that they'll talk to them about coming to the Olympic Games. But they did say that the improvement of relations between North and South Korea cannot go separately with resolving North Korea's nuclear program. So any Olympics discussions would have to proceed alongside talks on nuclear uh, ambition of North Korea. So that's uh, where it is at the moment. And they point out that uh, also earlier this summer, you might remember, back in July, South Korea had proposed a couple of meetings. One would focus on military talks, and the other one would reunite reunite families that have been separated by the war because there are still familial ties, uh, people that happened, um, what is it, 60, 68 years ago? That's when that was going. Uh, people are still uh, trying to get back to family members, but neither of those happened, and North Korea continued to fire nuclear missiles over Japan. Again, it is an ego thing. It is part of Kim Jong-un. Uh, wanting to prove that he is a big man. I don't see that going away. The question is uh, where we're going to be going with this. And uh, as I talked about on uh, Friday, very concerned that the United States may be ready to launch a nuclear uh, attack or some kind of attack to take out their nuclear capability. Uh, that could uh, go well or it could go very poorly. And they might do something, as I pointed out on the report. Friday, we have a uh, dark winter exercise that begins today. We had another, the first dark winter exercise, this is dark winter 2.0. The first one was done about the same amount of time that many people are saying uh, we might be going to war with North Korea. We've had multiple people in the U.S. military and intelligence agencies as well as the Chinese general saying that they thought it would happen before March. So that's less than 12 weeks out, 10 weeks before September 11th, 2001. We had a terrorist exercise, terrorism exercise, and the usual suspects were Saddam Hussein with Iraq and Osama bin Laden. And so I don't think you're going to see anything happening with this exercise. But understand that it prepares the mindset of the first responders to see the suspects that they want them to see. Immediately, uh, people involved in that say, oh, yeah, of course, it's going to be Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. And so that, you know, I guess makes makes it a little bit easier to go attack Iraq, even though you've said that the people who took down the Twin Towers uh, came out of caves in Afghanistan, then you go and attack uh, Iraq because of weapons of mass destruction. And that was also a part of that exercise. So do we have people in uh, law enforcement and military and FEMA and elsewhere that are being conditioned for some kind of a false flag that would give us then the imperative to go to war with North Korea? That's what I'm concerned about. 
Well, you know, it's a sign of the times that you can now buy a private prison on Craigslist for just 88 Bitcoin. <laughs> Only in America, land of the free, where prisons are a growth industry. <laughs> There's a private prisons across the U.S. are set to reap the financial benefits of changes in the tax code signed by President Trump. Under the new tax law, if you invest in real estate investment trusts, and of course that's the category that private prisons fall into, uh, you can see a 25% reduction in tax down from 39% to 29%. Uh, this is from Zero Hedge. and said, it's going to be great for investors, banks, hedge funds that own shares in private prisons and are dependent on increased incarceration and criminalization. And the one that is up for uh, sale is in Brush, Colorado, an asking price of $1.2 million or 88 bitcoins. And as of December 17, 2017, the listing broker is now accepting bitcoin. So if you have a brush with a long brush, Colorado, um, maybe you can uh, just buy the prison. How about that? <laughs> the prison and get out. And as we look at private prisons and the things that made them, brought them into existence, the drug war, of course, you've now seen by now uh, CNN and uh, their correspondents smoking pot last night, celebrating uh, the legalization of pot. And I have to say, you know, I, I don't have any desire to engage in recreational pot. But at the same time, I don't have any desire to lock up my fellow citizens. And I don't have any desire to pay taxes to support private prisons or public prisons. And a large part of this exploding prison population has been because of the drug war and the mandatory uh, minimum sentences that were brought in by the uh, Reagan administration. I don't want to see the rule of law destroyed because of this. And as I was in the break room this morning getting some coffee, on Fox News, they had a pastor. And this is a guy who was a recovering addict. And he was talking to uh, the person there, and he was saying how he did not want to see this go through because he said, you know, pot and alcohol are gateway drugs. And I just wanted to ask him, what was it that got you off of addiction? Was it uh, Prohibition? Was it the DEA? Or was it Jesus? Because he's a pastor. Why isn't he looking at this as a spiritual problem? And I, again, I'm not advocating the recreational use of marijuana. It has some very, very important medical uses. And if I or a member of my family uh, needed it for a medical condition, there's absolutely no way that I would let any kind of government prohibition tell me what I could or could not put in my body. When you go down that path, you're going down the path to mandatory vaccinations and other issues that we don't want to see happen. And so conservatives as well as liberals and Democrats should be opposed to prohibition, especially the idea that we keep hearing, well, okay, it's legal in California, but it's still illegal with the federal government. On what basis? On what basis? We have the Ninth and Tenth Amendment that stand in the face of the federal government's war on drugs. And so you have to understand that just as alcohol prohibition didn't work, and alcohol is a far more dangerous drug than pop, alcohol prohibition didn't work, except to create organized crime. And that's what we have seen with drug prohibition. And drug prohibition has destroyed the Constitution because unlike alcohol prohibition, we decided... 
We don't care what the Constitution says anymore. We don't have any constitutional amendments to prohibit pot like we did with alcohol. We'll be right back with Charles Ortel. Stay with us. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. David and I, and we're going to be talking to Charles Fortel. Uh, Charles is a an expert on uh, multinational and nonprofit fraud. He's been looking at this since 2007, and since 2015, he's been looking specifically at the mother of all multinational and nonprofit fraud, the Clinton Foundation. So I wanted to talk to uh, Charles Ortel as soon as I saw this executive order that was signed by President Trump December the 21st. I think it targets them. Before we get to Charles and start the interview real quickly, I want to remind you of the specials that we have extended uh, through the new year. We have many items, 50% or more, plus free shipping. And uh, some items that are back in stock at uh, 25% off, like Myco ZX is now back in stock. We have ProPure products, 25% off, plus free shipping. A big savings for uh, for fresh water, folks. If you don't have fresh water, if you don't have clean water, make that your first priority this new year. You know, Don't have a situation like we saw uh, in Flint, Michigan, and other places where uh, after the fact you find out there's some severe toxins in the water, things that you can't necessarily uh, taste although sometimes there's indications of it but you don't necessarily know hey is that uh, uh, something that is very toxic that's going to affect uh, your children or affect you be proactive and uh, get something like a pro pure water filter 25 percent off plus free shipping and then we have a lot of our most popular products 50 percent off plus free shipping secret 12 our vitamin b12 formula all of our super blue products that's our uh, fluoride free uh, toothpaste products that have iodine and nano silver included in them. All of those are 50% off with free shipping. We have vitamin mineral fusion drink mix, a great way to take your vitamin and mineral supplements without swallowing a lot of pills. That is 50% off plus free shipping. Survival Shield X2 nascent iodine, Brain Force Plus, Super Male Vitality, all of those 50% off plus free shipping. Silver Bullet 67% off plus free shipping. And some of our newest products, Alpha Power, Cell Force and the Real Red Pill right now, 50% off plus free shipping. Take a look at InfoWarsStore.com, at the products that we have. There's many more that I don't have time to go into. Uh, this is a great way to start off the uh, year as we have free shipping and massive discounts on our most popular products. All right, let's go to uh, Charles Ortel right now. As I pointed out, he's been looking at multinational and nonprofit fraud since 2007. And of course, the Clinton Foundation is a multinational racketeering organization, and that's what this looks like. This executive order looks like extending RICO statutes to an international level. Since early 2015, Charles has been investigating state, federal, and foreign filings of Bill Hillary and Chelsea Clinton Foundation. So when I saw this executive order, I said to Jen, I said, get me Charles Ortel, because <laughs> this is the guy I want to go down uh, through this with and see what he thinks about it. You can find him at charlesortel.com and on Twitter at Charles Ortel. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Ortel. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Knight, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, what do you think the New Year is going to bring for the Clintons? Is it going to be a Happy New Year for them, or is it going to be a, a lump of coal, maybe even a jail sentence? 
I think, well, I think that this is a year of reckoning. I mean, as we speak, there is a former congresswoman named Corinne Brown, who is roughly the same age as Hillary, was running for Congress, having been in Congress for over 20 years, when I call him now Dopey James Comey, and others decided not uh, to go after Hillary Clinton. They said, well, let's go after this African-American congressperson who's running for office, because she's only done an $800,000 charity fraud. Well, former Congresswoman Brown was indicted last summer during the election. She lost the election. She was convicted. She faced 350 years in prison. She was sentenced to five years in federal prison. She reports to prison this month, the judge having said, no, you can't appeal, uh, you know, free on bail. You've got to serve time. This is heinous crimes. Um, there's a 50-page sentencing memo. You could mark that memo up and globally replace Corinne Brown's name with the Clintons. And yeah. you'd be able to throw them away till the next, you know, millennia from now. And so really, I think we're in a place where there's been so much conspiracy going on by the vast left wing, and in some cases, a lie to the Bush wing of the Republican Party. There's been so much uh, conspiracy going on that I think the American public is now in a place where we need to rise up and demand equal treatment, equal justice under the law. It is not fair to put this African-American Democrat away five years in federal prison, over 800,000, when the Clintons continue to perpetrate a fraud that I believe on the books exceeds $2 billion. But if you consider all the affiliates, you're up in hundreds of billions, maybe trillions of dollars. Donald Trump and the Justice Department, the IRS, the FBI need to do their work. They need to focus on this. They need to bring indictments. They need to win convictions. They need to get restitution. And the Clintons have been front and center at this. They've named this charity after themselves and their daughter. They can't, there cannot be a double standard under this oh, law. Oh, absolutely. And, and as we look at things, um, whether or not there's going to be a prosecution, when I look at Jeff Sessions, and I know this is somebody who has championed uh, civil asset forfeiture in the drug war, and I don't support the drug war. I don't support civil asset forfeiture Either I don't support taking people's property uh, before you convict them, but they take people's property before they even charge them and call it civil asset forfeiture. And they've done the same thing with the RICO statute. And we've seen that get out of hand uh, coming after even uh, anti-abortion protesters using the RICO statute against them. But this really is a racketeering influenced corrupt organization that we're talking about here, the Clinton Foundation. And when I look at the tactics that I would think that Jeff Sessions would use, it looks very much like what we've seen with this executive order, declaring that they're going to come after organizations abroad that are involved in serious human rights violations and in corruption, and then listing 13 people specifically. And as I pointed out last Thursday, six of these people have very close ties to the Clintons. What do you make of this? Because on the same day, it got a lot of attention that the Department of Justice said, we're going to start interviewing FBI agents about this whistleblower on Uranium One, but we are also, they quietly released this executive order saying, we can take the assets, anything that we can seize of any of these uh, foreign corporations or any any Americans or American institutions that were involved with these foreign corrupt organizations. I think it's a wonderful thing, and it's past time. I think they're playing their cards very carefully, laying the case out. What we have uh, since the last time we've talked is one obvious fact. The year ended, and so the Clinton Foundation and the donors to the Clinton Foundation need to get audits and true independent audits of their books. With this executive order, any significant donor to the Clinton Foundation has got major tax problems. 
because I don't think the Clinton Foundation ever was validly organized or operated. That means anybody claiming a tax deduction or that as a foundation that they were making a contribution to a public charity is breaking the law because this is not a validly organized charity. And this gives, you know, there are so many levers that can be used against the, I'm not a lawyer, but lawyers tell me, against the Clinton Foundation, including lying under oath, obstructing justice, uh, tax fraud, bank fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, you, you just go on and on and on, disaster relief, solicitation fraud. Um, and, you know, I, I return you to that Corinne Brown sentencing memo. Fifty pages of logic and facts and statutes, et cetera, explain just how serious this type of thing is. And Corinne wasn't claiming she was helping people in Haiti the way the Clintons were. Yeah, that's right. When we come back, we're going to have uh, more from Charles Ortel. I remember the last time we spoke, Charles Ortel talked about the tax consequences to foundations and other organizations that had donated them, how that could all be rolled back. And now we see Eric Schmidt cutting ties with Google. We see Glenn Core cutting ties with Dan Gersler and others. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a look at the consequences of this as they flee these Choose organizations. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. Snowflakes can't handle the truth. It's your host, David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight, and we're talking to Charles Ortel because Charles Ortel is an expert on corruption, on fraud, on multinational corruption and fraud. And on the 21st of December, we had both the Department of Justice say that they're going to start interviewing FBI agents for more information on the Uranium One deal because this has not been litigated. As Hillary Clinton said, it hasn't had any uh, trial about this information, especially the new information that came to light in October. And when this was reported by NBC News, they said at the time a senior law enforcement official who was briefed on the initial FBI investigation told NBC News there were allegations of corruption surrounding the process under which the U.S. government approved the sale, but no charges had been filed. So take a look at that. And on the same day that these officials are saying it looks like there's corruption. There is an executive order that blocks the property of persons involved in serious human rights abuse or corruption, and it makes it very clear that extends to people who were in the government here. So my question to Charles Wartell, as we see all these people uh, fleeing these Clinton organizations, is whether or not this looks like the, uh, uh, the uh, strategy moving forward, or I should say maybe the tactic uh, to uh, the same tactic that these uh, uh, many people like uh, Jeff Sessions or Rudy Giuliani would take if they were going after a large organized crime family in the United States. Uh, this is going after an international organized crime family, uh, the Clinton Foundation, isn't it, Charles? I think it really is. And I think, you know, one very helpful resource to me, I'll give a shout out to the line people in the FBI. They run something called the FBI Vault. And there are sets of documents that have just been sprinkling out. There's a 16-part dump that uh, puts uh, uh, the truth out that, you know, we've heard how many different times, David, we've heard people say, part of a normal security review, there was nothing to see here, no FBI investigation uh, ever into Hillary's mishandling of classified information. Go on the FBI vault, and you will see that that is an absolute lie, that by uh, July 6, 2015, 
the Inspector General for the uh, Intelligence Community uh, issued a report uh, flagging mishandling of classified information, it seems, by Hillary and Uma Abedin, and that by the 10th of July, 2015, the FBI opened up a full-scale investigation into mishandling of classified information, which was then brought to a higher level once they found the, the uh, Abedin and Wiener laptop by October of 2016. So we're now, I think, you know, as we pull on this from many different directions, we're going to find the real truth out, which is that there, right. there, there was a conspiracy. It involved mm -hmm. people in the FBI, people in the Department of Justice who wanted to see Hillary Clinton installed as the next president so this could continue. And we're going to go back into this history and figure out why there weren't any real audits of the Clinton Foundation in the crucial year you're talking about, 2009, when uh, the FBI investigation was in full force against the network that was trying to get uranium. So we have had a series of secrets covered up by this corrupt conspiracy. I suspect it involves, certainly involves the, Obama, the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, may involve Obama loyalists, likely involves Bush loyalists. It is a uniparty plot to keep the game going that Donald Trump is ripping apart, exposing for all of us. And it's important, I think, at this time that we, the people, stand tall and stand up and speak out with a loud voice, which is why I love coming on your show. You're getting people riled up. They need to get their representatives, their senators on the line and explain to them we deserve to know the truth. If, if the government has been on running a corrupt system to enrich unregulated globalists like the Clintons, maybe like the Obamas, like the Bushes, we, the people, deserve restitution. There's a way to do it. You go against the Clinton Foundation. You go against That's the right. donors. You get money back. That's right. And, and I think, uh, you know, your research, as you've been going through this, uh, Charles, and nobody has done more on getting to the details of the Clinton Foundation, the crimes that they've got there. The key thing, I think, is if we go back and we look at the security violations, uh, yes, Hillary should be in jail. We had James Comey come out and say, look, she committed all these things. I remember listening to the speech live with my wife and say, he's going to come after her. He's just listed all the felonies that she's committed. But then he pulls it back and says, but it does, it's not in our interest to prosecute her. And now we learn, after seeing the Peter Strzok uh, emails between uh, he and his uh, mistress lawyer, <laughs> um, we see all the information there about how they said, we've got to save the country from uh, Donald Trump and so forth. And he was the guy who was pushing back and trying to water down these charges against Hillary Clinton, not that James Comey wasn't also a part of this. But, Charles, don't you think that the key thing, as you just mentioned, you, you wound up with the money. We've got to get the money from the Clinton Foundation and eviscerate that thing, or it's going to continue uh, to be uh, a, a very dangerous uh, snake, even if you cut off one of the uh, heads of this hydra, it's going to continue to go on. I think that's the key thing about this. They're going, I think, with this executive order to come after this to, uh, with the way they're laying this out, strategy that we know that's the way that uh, Sessions and others like Giuliani like to operate, coming after the money of this organized crime family. Exactly, and the donors to it. So a quirk mm -hmm. under charity law is that a private foundation like the Gates Foundation, which is a very big donor here, cannot do what they actually did. They can't say they gave money to a public charity when, in fact, they gave it to a fraud. The, the IRS has the ability, and it's an investigation supposedly down there in Texas. It's been going on since July 2016. You know, query, why does it take so long to get to the bottom of what happened here? Because they have all the inside information. They have the files we don't in the public have. The IRS can go against the Gates Foundation, and if they wanted to, 
I find almost a hundred different instances of donations. They could say to Bill Gates, listen, you, this is a fraud what you're operating. You say you need to lessen inequality. Thank you for the money in your foundation. We'll take the forty, fifty billion and we'll pay down the debt that has been run up by these globalists, including you. And you That's can right. And with this executive order, Charles, uh, they don't even need the IRS. They can come in and say, you've been a part of this uh, Clinton Foundation, this corruption tangentially here, and there's a lot of individuals there who are, who are fleeing. Uh, you take this guy, Dan Gertler, okay? Right. He was an Israeli billionaire. He was connected to Glencore that was founded by Mark Rich. Remember, Mark Rich was the guy that Bill Clinton pardoned on his last day in office. And he coincidentally had given the uh, Clinton Library uh, $450,000. And so as soon as this order came out on the very same day, Glencore, which is still connected to Dan Gersler, who was named in this executive order, immediately cut their ties to him. But when we go back and look, it's also kind of coincidental, even though Eric Schmidt and Google are not directly named in this executive order. Uh, maybe it's just a coincidence or maybe there's something else there. Many people believe that there is. Eric Schmidt uh, severs his ties with Alphabet on the very same day. And we've got Robert Zellick pulling out of the Laureate Foundation. So the, all these guys are, are running like uh, rats off of a sinking ship because that could suck them down to the bottom as well through the executive order or, as you pointed out before, through the IRS auditing this bogus foundation that they've been connected to. Well, and I put it on a hopeful note. I'd think of the number of people who likely already are cooperating with the IRS, mm -hmm. with the Department of Justice. Take, for example, Eric Braverman, who's a smart guy, young guy, who served as uh, CEO of the Clinton Foundation for about 18 months and then abruptly resigned mysteriously. And he was then hired by Eric Schmidt's fa personal foundation to be the CEO of that foundation. Uh, Eric uh, Braverman knows where the bodies are buried here. Andrew yes. Kessel, the CFO, he knows the same thing. Bruce Lindsay does. A lot of people, uh, you know, the operatives may be talking. Beyond that, the billionaire trustees, Haim Saban, uh, right. and others who are, have a lot of wealth connected with us. Somebody likely is already speaking, and this is going to come crashing down hard, and the Clintons need to be fully exposed, all of them. Uh, you know, imagine what Chelsea Clinton might be doing. She faces, if she tries to fight this and loses, she spends the rest of her life in prison. On the other hand, if she comes forward and does the right thing, faces down her parents and says, no, I won't do this, and starts talking. We could have a really big drama here, and the people deserve, honest people in this country are the majority. We play by the rules. We deserve equal treatment under the law. That's right. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back with Charles Ortel. And as we talk about people uh, returning and perhaps uh, turning on the Clintons to save their own skin, uh, we've got a list of people who fit in that category. We'll be talking about that when we come back. Stay with us. We'll be talking to Charles Ortel. I'm David Knight. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight, and we're talking to Charles Ortel, an expert at spotting multinational fraud and we're talking about uh, spotting that he's been looking for two years at the clinton foundation 
And so I had uh, wanted to get Charles on because of this executive order that came out on December the 21st. At the same time, we had uh, Attorney General Sessions saying that he was going to have Department of Justice officials interview FBI agents uh, related to corruption with Uranium One. We have this executive order come out on the same day talking about uh, corruption uh, and coming after the assets of any company that was connected with that corruption. But as we were talking about in the last segment, uh, Charles Ortel was saying we're going to see a lot of people uh, turning on the Clintons. Uh, Charles, have you are you aware of the uh, fact that we have the uh, wife of one of the Awan uh, brothers, Awan Iran, his wife uh, uh, escaped just before uh, her husband got arrested. Uh, she made it to uh, Pakistan. Uh, she fled in March, and then later on they arrested her husband. Uh, she has now made a deal with federal prosecutors to return to the U.S. and to face charges. So you have to ask uh, why she would be doing that. And at the same time, uh, the guy who's been following this uh, tweeted out at the end of the week last week that he thought it was very strange that the Awan brothers' court date was supposed to be January the 8th, but it is not showing on the court's calendar as of now, which raises the question, uh, has their trial been just rescheduled or has it been taken off because they are now going to cooperate with the Justice Department? Uh, what do, What do you think about that? Well, I think you and others have been giving uh, coverage of this Iran controversy, which is really shocking. I mean, here we have Debbie Wasserman Schultz, while being a leader of the Democratic Party, and multiple, ten, many, uh, I want to say it's at least 40 congressmen, uh, mm-hmm. signed up to, to use these suspicious technicians who then got ac- access to our nation's highest secrets through the congressional offices, And one of the gentlemen who I think was responsible as a congressman for negotiating these contracts is now the Attorney General of California, Xavier Becerra. And, you know, the New York Times and CNN wants to focus on how many scoops of ice cream Donald Trump eats, as opposed (laughs) to, you know, the very high likelihood, in my mind, that Pakistan's, or as Barack Obama liked to say, Pakistan, uh, their (laughs) security service, the ISI, likely has infiltrated the, the Congress via the Democrats, and nobody seems to want to look at that, remembering that, that Pakistan has nuclear weapons, that the ISI is a very devious organization, um, that Pakistan is very – tensions are rising between the United States and Pakistan. So it would be logical that uh, that nation might have been trying to steal our secrets. Now, where, oh, yeah. Where's Congress on all of this? Oh, absolutely. And you look at the situation where you've got these guys who are not even qualified computer technicians – being hired in at two or three times the salary of a qualified IT person, uh, being hired in at or above the levels of senior staff people on the Hill, and they have absolutely no experience in this, but they have also are operating all these other scams. One of them, uh, they had a car company that called it CIA, uh, interestingly enough. But <laughs> the massive corruption that is there and the fact that as the Capitol Hill staff started uh, investigating these crooks, uh, for theft of equipment, uh, one of the things that they got back from these guys was uh, some uh, uh, disk drives that belonged to Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and she was very upset and threatening the Capitol Hill police. You can see the video of that that's been reported. Uh, it's it, She was very upset, wanting to get that back before anybody saw that. So I think there is something there with that. But let's talk a little bit about uh, Laurette. Uh, university or the educational system, whatever this thing is. It's not a legit uh, university. Everybody in the media got all upset about Trump Foundation when Bill Clinton got $18 million personally out of Laureate and the entire gross revenue of Trump University was $17 million. But it was completely different in terms of 
the quality as well. It wasn't just the quantity of what was involved here. But with Trump University, they pulled up some people who were dissatisfied. Customers said, well, we didn't like what we got for our money or whatever. But with the Laureate University, this was a case of clear pay-to-play money laundering with corrupt foreign officials for vast amounts of money. And now we've got all these people fleeing Laureate University. Yeah, Laureate is a for-profit university system. It's actually, in my view, it's a textbook case of uh, securities and bank fraud as well. I mean, it was a publicly traded company that went private in August of 2007 with a whole bunch of suspect characters, including Stevie Cohen, a man who I think has put, paid the largest, subsequently paid the largest fine ever, in the, around a billion dollars, the SEC. Uh, <laughs> that man was centrally involved in organizing the buyout in August 2007. It obviously went immediately badly wrong in the crisis. It had way too much debt international operations in shaky countries. So they needed to dress it up, and they give really a no-show job, part-time chancellor of Laureate University to Bill Clinton. He makes $17.6 over five years. That, I think, it, it was more in certain years than the president of Harvard made for full-time work. <laughs> and, you know, and then as Hillary's waltzing out the door in January of 2013, Laureate, which couldn't go public and save and raise some money, convinced the uh, IFC, to, which is controlled in part by the World Bank uh, and under the influence of Hillary Clinton, to give it $150 million and scammed the Korean investment company, uh, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Korea, for another $50 million on mis of mispriced securities. Then they went public earlier this year, last year. Um, the stock has gone headed straight south. They're under government investigation in many countries. I mean, yeah. this is the last thing you'd want to get involved with as a former president and an That's aspiring right. president. Well, you know, you're talking about uh, the the $150 million uh, that Laureate gave, um, uh, received, rather. And uh, then Zelik, Zelik uh, Robert Zelik, who was uh, president of the World Bank at the time that that happened, and later on they, they upped it to $200 million, you know, just get it to a nice round number. He becomes uh, uh, an official with uh, Laureate, and he has now just left as uh, one of the board members. And, of course, everybody has been fleeing this organization. We've had the chief legal officer, the chief human resources officer, uh, the chief operating officer, the company's founder and CEO, Douglas Becker, and now Robert Zellick, the uh, World Bank president. All of these people are jumping out of Laureate, Charles. Indeed, and you know, when you look behind Laureate, the capital structure of Laureate is financed by Goldman Sachs and KKR and Citibank and others. And these are all people who also made speech payments to the Clinton Foundation, uh, to Hillary, mm -hmm. and, and in some cases to Bill. You know, none of these this, these interrelationships are explained as they need to be in the Clinton Foundation filings from 2008 forward. None of these payments. So this is, I think, textbook securities and bank fraud in the case of Laureate, but it's also foundation fraud. I mean, we could spend weeks talking about the details of this. It's, it's amazing that this is allowed to go on, and that Don, Schneiderman, Eric Schneiderman, the attorney general in, in New York, goes after Trump, but refuses to go after Laureate. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he's done about a, a, a hundred uh, uh, actions against the Trump administration and so forth uh, just to try to block it. But getting back to Laureate. Uh, one of the things that came out as people were looking at these uh, individuals leaving, they're pointing out how unusual it is to have an IPO, an initial public offering, and then within six months, everybody at the top leaves. So that, I right, talk about a red flag for Laureate University. I mean, that is it. If people didn't understand the massive fraud that's there, and of course, you've talked about this uh, at length and past, in the past, 
And we've had uh, 65 members of Congress have asked the FBI and the IRS, as you pointed out. Uh, we do have tools to already go after these people, but they've called on the IRS, the, uh, the Federal Trade Commission and others to investigate Laurent. And now all these people are jumping ship trying to uh, distance themselves from this organization. Yeah, we deserve to know the truth, and if there was fraud and corruption here, it needs to be exposed, and people need to be penalized, including jail. They need to make restitution. Fortunately, some of the people behind Laureate are very rich. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe one of the investors is uh, Paul Allen, uh, the Microsoft co-founder, and there are other. George Soros, I think, is a, uh, a backer of that thing. Yeah. So if we, re we should have formal hearings on it. The public deserves to know. Well, the key thing, and the reason I wanted to get you on was because uh, one of the times I had you when we were talking about degrees of separation. You know, people joke about uh, Kevin Bacon and the six degrees of separation. You can uh, look at Kevin Bacon and make six hops, and you can pretty much find anybody uh, that's been in any movie in Hollywood. But you said that with the Clinton Foundation, it's just a single degree of separation for most of these people. And we've seen that laid out explicitly now in this executive order. I think this is going to be very interesting in the coming year. Your your final comment, we've got about a minute left. Yeah, it's very amusing. I call it Ortel's first law. Take anything connected to the Clinton, any person or company, punch that name in with the word fraud, and you will definitely <laughs> be amused. Yeah, and that's what this executive order is coming after, I think. I mean, th this is, uh, I mean, we've already got, uh, at the bottom of this, six of the 13 people named, uh, six of them have very clear, obvious connections to the Clinton, uh, the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation. And so uh, that's that's about half of them right there. And uh, probably if we go down the other seven, we'll find it uh, a little bit uh, more obscure, maybe two degrees of separation with them. But thank you so much for joining us, Charles Ortel. And people can follow Charles at charlesortel.com, also on Twitter at Charles Ortel. Thank you so much, Charles, and Happy New Year to you. All the best, David. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back. I'm David Knight. Stay with us. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. Sense common again. It's your host, David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight. We're going to take some of your phone calls uh, to see what your hopes or maybe in predictions are for 2018. Let me give you that number. It's going to be 888 201 2244. That's 888 201 2244 if you want to call in and uh, tell us what you think, uh, what you would like to see happen in 2018, and uh, maybe what you think will happen in 2018. Uh, what's coming up in Congress? They have now returned, and uh, things are going to start uh, changing. As they point out on the Hill, they've got a lot of things on the plate. They've got uh, immigration, of course, health care, national security. Uh, disaster funding is going to be there, but uh, they put a lot of this stuff off as they kick the can down the road, which Congresses uh, want to do, aren't they? Uh, but, of course, the uh, as the Hill points out, the first thing that's going to be up is a bipartisan agreement on boosting budget caps and preventing automatic across-the-board spending cuts, known as sequestration. So much for the not one more penny to the deficit that we heard from Bob Corker that all these Democrats were complaining about, right? 
saying, no, 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 we got to pay for all this stuff. Now the first order of business is to uh, boost the spending caps and to stop the automatic spending cuts. And <laughs> that's the... Uh, uh, that's that's what we're going to see from them. And I'm sure that they can reach a deal on that. I'm sure that they can uh, find a way uh, to agree to spend money. That's one thing that Congress can always agree on. And then when we look at the other uh, fights that are coming down the, the pike, again, entitlement reform, I don't think we're going to see much in terms of entitlement reform. Republicans are not going to do anything to uh, attach uh, any kind of cuts to Medicare or to Social Security. I doubt they're going to do anything more on Obamacare. Uh, some have, uh, they're even split whether or not they should even bring that up. So I think that's going to be a, a dead issue for them. I think that is going to play into the primary season as well. Infrastructure, we'll have to see what they're going to do on infrastructure. Uh, but again, this is going to, they're going to talk about the train accident, I'm sure. And of course, there are things that are happening all the time in infrastructure. There was just uh, information about uh, New York they were talking about uh, the most expensive couple of miles ever in transportation. It turned out that out of 900 people that were on the payroll, the accountant just happened to notice that 200 of them never showed up on the job site. And those people were making about $1,000 a day. That's one of the reasons why we can't build roads anymore. If you will go back and look at the price per mile of our highways as we go back to infrastructure and look at this. We're going to have to find a way to get the corruption and the feather bedding and the crony capitalism that is embedded into our infrastructure. That's one of the biggest problems. That's one of the things that's taking down our infrastructure. We could never have built the interstate transportation system that we did from the 50s to the 70s uh, with the kind of cost structure that we have today. And the reason we have that is because of politics. But also on the agenda is going to be immigration and DACA. And as we have these officials meeting together as to what they're going to do with DACA, when you look at the leadership of Congress, you look at Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, Charles uh, Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, all of them are open borders, with the possible exception of Mitch McConnell, who is pretty soft on it. But the other three of the four leaders of both parties are full-on open borders. Do you think anything is going to really happen with uh, the Dreamers, with DACA? They're saying, uh, well, you know, we're not going to do anything unless we get some concessions from the Democrats on the wall, unless we get an end to chain immigration, unless we end the lottery system. All right, fine. But let's understand that when we had the so-called Amnesty Act, and uh, we had strict enforcement that was going to come along with it under Reagan. Did any of that happen? No. And we're hearing the same rhetoric this time. They were saying, we're going to end illegal immigration. We're going to give amnesty to the people who are already here, but we're going to get tough on the borders. That was in the mid-1980s. And uh, what we have today is a legacy of that kind of compromise. I think that's the same kind of compromise we're going to see over immigration when they return. Stay with us when we come right back. We're going to talk a little bit about introducing Cellforce. You found it. It's the real news. From the InfoWars.com studios in Austin, Texas, it's your host, David Knight. Welcome back. I'm 
and David Knight. And to kick off 2018, I thought we'd take some of your phone calls and see what your hopes and expectations for 2018 are. I'll give you that phone number. It's 888-201-2244. That's 888-201-2244. Let's start with uh, Brad in Louisiana. Brad, uh, what are your hopes or expectations for 2018? Well, good morning, Dave. And I, first of all, um, I guess one of my hopes or expectations would, would be that the arrested development of Bill Clinton would, uh, he would, uh, surpass that and maybe get a job, uh, playing his saxophone in front of some street mall to call people in to park and buy <laughs> shoes or something. But other than that. I would like to see him arrested though, too, as, <laughs> along with what he's developed, yeah. Well, it might depend on how well he plays, you know. <laughs> it might get him quicker that way. But Disturbing the peace. I, yeah. But nonetheless, um, I would also, on a more serious note, like to see the uh, the people of the United States who are indeed constitutionally inclined, um, who are patriots, start standing up for themselves and stop letting these um, pencil necks, uh, masked faces, uh, have these protests without any repercussion from them. Uh, stop taking a beating um, from these guys and give back what you get. You know, that's how this country started. That's how the people has, have always been. And we've got to just... Cease and desist with allowing these non-American, communistic, socialistic, whatever, pushing people around. It's got to stop. And well, you know, I, I think one of the things I would we, like to see, Dave, when, when we talk about open borders and so forth, I mean, we're talking about, as I've said many times, there's so many people who come to our country and they want what we have, but they don't want the system that gave it to us. So let me ask you, Brad. What is the essence of the American system that we want to keep? I mean, is it, uh, you know, what is it? What would you say? The essence of the American system that I personally, speaking for myself, and I think for a majority of my friends, is liberty, freedom, and the right to... um, Teddy Roosevelt said it the best. Anyone who calls himself an American and something else is not American. And we need to come together as Americans and put all of this other junk aside. Uh, I've I've read, well, as you are a well-read person, I'm a professional myself, Dave, and, um, you know, when it gets down to, it's always carried on at such a low level of society the the ugliness the racism the fighting the stealing the the all of the rape the bad things that are going on that you know good people even though you're not rich you can be a good person as a matter of fact i would i would probably believe it's disproportionately high uh, amount of good people in the medium to upper low 
uh, and lower income brackets. And uh, we want to be able to live in peace and, and get rid of this segment of society that is causing all of this concern and grief and woe. Yeah. Well, I, I think you nailed it else. when you said that the, the center idea of America is liberty. Yeah, I think that's the system that gave us what we got. And when yes, people sir. come here, it, it's the, the desire to be free rather than the desire for free stuff. And I think that is the divide that we see there. And I think that many of us who consider ourselves to be conservatives, who consider ourselves to be libertarians, I think in many cases we need to go back and we even need to check ourselves and say, well, in order for my side to win, uh, you know, am I willing to give up liberty? Am I willing to give up the rule of law for things that I think are important? Or is that going to be, when it comes to the public sphere, is that going to be the centerpiece on which we rally? Because I think if that becomes the centerpiece on which we rally, I think we can pick up some of these people who are currently screaming in the streets against us. Many of them are kids who have yes. gone through this educational system. They've been brainwashed. They don't, they're looking for free stuff or they're looking to try to control other people's lives to make us live the way they think uh, that we ought to live rather than letting people I, make those choices about themselves. And I think that, that freedom is a great idea. The only question is, why can't we sell it? And I think the reason we can't sell it is because we don't love it enough. We're, too many times we're willing to say, well, you know, I think drugs are a bad thing, so I'm going to take away people's ability to use drugs because part of that ability to use drugs is to abuse drugs. Uh, and we don't want to see that happen, so we use law enforcement to address a problem that is not law enforcement. And we take away the rule of law and we take away liberty. I think if we were to embrace those things, if we were to make them the first thing, I think we would be able to win converts from people who just want free stuff and want to control people's lives. One other thing, Dave. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. One other. Oh, thank you, sir. Is uh, that would that came to mind while you were speaking? What is hindering our liberty? Is is one thing that you asked, and I believe it is the appointment of, to a large extent, judges who have misconstrued or who are twisted in their thinking to the point that they believe that they are to interpret the Constitution as opposed to uphold the Constitution. This has right. got to stop. It's okay. got to stop. There's no law that says you can't have marijuana. You know, if you want to smoke marijuana, hey, man, you know what? Uh, uh, fog, you, fog between your ears all you want. It it has no impact on me whatsoever. In fact, I understand it's safer than alcohol. And, right. But it's these judges who think that they are something other than than a, a schooled, uh, book-read, no true um, meaning in life other than to act as an authority. And the people have to have some control over these appointees. Oh, I agree, absolutely. They have taken it upon themselves to become the opposition to President Trump in a, in a very politically activist way. But I think the problem, Brad, even goes lower than that at the grassroots level. We have lost our ability to really have jury trials. And when I go back and look at alcohol prohibition, one of the reasons that they pulled back alcohol prohibition was because juries refused to convict people. They didn't even want to, at the time, they weren't coming after the end users. They were really coming after the people who were manufacturing it, who were distributing it, and so forth. But in places like North Carolina, they said, you know what, we're not going to lock up Junior Johnson. 
the guy who later uh, stopped being a, uh, a a runner for uh, alcohol and started and became one of the best NASCAR drivers ever. They said, we're not going to lock up Junior Johnson. Uh, we're not going to do this anymore. And when people refuse to do that, they talk about, hey, we might have a clash between the federal government and California over this issue. It's like, bring it on. Maybe that will revive the idea of juries because that's what something that we really need to recapture. So I kind of hope that uh, Jeff Sessions gives us a fight on this issue because I'd like to see this fought where it should be fought in the juries because I think the juries are going to take back freedoms that were never going to get handed back to us uh, by the um, establishment, by Congress and others. Uh, your final comments, because we've got just about a minute before. I'm not going to go to another caller, but uh, any comments that you want to make, uh, Brad? Dave, I'm going to end it by just telling you the happiest of New Year's to you and your family, and that well, God you. bless you deeply for the wonderful work that you do in association with the men and women who constitute the, the body of InfoWars and for what it is that you guys are doing. I've been with you about four years. I, uh, I'm so happy you have your own show, Dave. It's, I am so well, happy you, for you. You're a wonderful guy. I so look forward to you. And I like Travis, and I, 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 <laughs> I like that your <laughs> wife gets out there, too, you know? <laughs> well, thanks. you got the whole family there, I'll tell you. I'm, they're listening, so they know. Well, thank you very much. And, of course, it's people like you, Brad, standing with us at InfoWars that allow us to add these programs uh, both in the morning and the afternoon and allow us to keep going with everything that we do here at InfoWars. So we really do thank you because you have made this possible. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more of your calls. The number is 888-201-2244. Your hopes and expectations for 2018. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. David Knight, and we're taking your phone calls about your hopes and expectations for 2018. Let me give you that number. It's 888-201-2244. We're going to get right back to our callers in just one moment. Before we do, real quickly, I want to remind you of what keeps this operation going, and it's the products that we sell at InfoWarsStore.com. That's what keeps us independent, keeps us independent of sponsors. It keeps us independent of uh, government grants and so forth that other media rely on. And it also helps you to take care of your health and the health of your family. And this is the time of year that everybody starts to think about that. Now is the time to think about what you're going to do for a healthier 2018. And we have massive discounts as well as free shipping to help you put that plan into action. Some of our most popular products, Super Male Vitality, Brain Force Plus, Survival Shield X2, Nascent Iodine, Secret 12, or Vitamin B12, all of those 50% off plus free shipping. We also have some of our newer products, Carnivore, Floor Life. Those are 33% off with free shipping. And we have the Real Red Pill, 50% off with free shipping, and Cell Force and Alpha Power, both of those 50% off plus free shipping. And if you haven't got a water filter yet, now is the time to think about having fresh water that is going to be independent of impurities, uh, whether it's a uh, an isolated event, as we've seen uh, people discovering, oh, wait a minute, you know, we got, we got uh, the kids are acting really strange. You get them down, you find out they've been brain damaged by lead in the water supply. Or maybe something that is longer term, uh, that has uh, an agricultural product that's worked its way down into the uh, water 
aquifers that's going to uh, give you cancer maybe uh, over long-term exposure. Don't wait for that stuff to happen to you. Be proactive and make sure that you've got something that's going to filter that stuff out. Uh, we have Propure filters, 25% off plus free shipping. That's a big savings for water filters, saving you the uh, shipping as well. Many more things uh, right now. Get your New Year specials with free shipping at InfoWarsStore.com. Dot com And thank you so much for your support. All right, let's go back to our callers. Uh, let's go to Hans in Pennsylvania. You want to talk about uh, elections and blockchain, I think. Go ahead. Hey, Hans, are you there? Uh, I'm, I'm hearing very little uh, talk or discussion about fixing the electoral election uh, uh, fraud process that's been uh, uh, plaguing us. And I had an idea for using blockchain, uh, which is, I guess, used in Bitcoin to secure financial uh, transactions over the Internet. Mm-hmm. I, I had an idea for using blockchain uh, to uh, uh, make the uh, voting process more secure. And I was wondering if uh, John McAfee might even cons- con- consider contributing to this effort. Um, we need some way to secure the electoral process because uh, – Everything that is set up right now is uh, still subject to manipulation, and uh, I think well, I blockchain agree. may offer an opportunity to uh, to knock that out. You know, uh, it was interesting when I had Gerald Salenti on last week. That was one of the things that he mentioned. He said, "Let's let's do that for elections," and, and I think that was uh, uh, there. Certainly, has to be something that we can do. But understand that because of the corruption that we have now, just like here in Texas, for example, we've got. Uh, the guy who is head of Texas Elections, who incidentally uh, left here and went to work for the Rose Law Firm where Hillary Clinton was, and then got hired back uh, by Rick Perry to run our election system. And what he has done every election since he's been back is to tell the counties, oh, by the way, you don't need to keep archives of the electronic records. And you do need to keep archives of electronic records. And he has waived the requirement that is part of the Texas Constitution as well as Texas law that you have sequentially numbered ballots. I mean, very, very basic things like that. And so we have to be careful when we go into electronics so we don't actually make things easier for them to cheat. And that is always a part of this. Smartmatic, uh, one of the largest uh, uh, companies in terms of electronic voting, that began in Venezuela by Hugo Chavez, uh, specifically because they wanted to make it easier to manipulate elections. And when you look at the runoff situation with Roy Moore, it was a close election. It was about 1.5%. A runoff would have been triggered with a half a percent difference there, and they had not even counted the absentee ballots of people who were in the military. And they came in and said, we want to preserve these uh, ballots in case we want to do a uh, an audit of this, in case they could raise the money, or in case as the uh, ballots came in, it, the, the margin got closer and trigger, triggered it automatically. And one of the judges countermanded the order to preserve those ballots and said, no, go ahead and destroy them. So when you've got that kind of corruption at the local level where they don't want any records of this, I mean, that that's really the, the key. There are things that certainly could be done, and we need to demand it. But you've got to understand that the people who run these elections, even in Republican uh, places like uh, Texas and Alabama, they don't want to have any kind of an audit trail there of the election. Perhaps the blockchain can be used to bypass all of these corrupt people. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, I'm very familiar with everything that you've said, and uh, it it has been a major problem, and it's going to continue unless we can uh, remove the influence of these people in controlling the process. That's right. Uh, That's right. That judge in uh, in Arkansas that uh, negated those votes, I think they should rerun the election, and I should 
I think that they should bill him for the cost of redoing the election for, for his effort in, in the, the destroying this information. That's right. I mean, you know, to, to, to shut it down so that you can't do a recount. And of course, we've seen that in some local elections here. We've had some of the people on to talk about that here in Texas, uh, some areas where there were more voters than there were people. And here's another clue, uh, Hans, when you look at this stuff. They always have exit polling. But you will never see them break down the exit polling and say candidate A had this many votes according to exit polling and candidate B had that many, this many votes uh, according to exit polling and then compare that to the actual reported results. You will never, ever see that. We have one exit polling organization here in the United States and the only thing that they'll ever report is a demographic crosstab and they'll say, well, this percentage of men voted for that candidate and this percentage of women voted for the candidate or they'll break it down by race or economic level or education level, but they'll never give you the information that could show that there was corruption because our own form uh, our own Department of State looks at foreign elections and says if there's more than a 4% difference in the exit polls versus the officially reported results, that was rigged. But you won't see that reported here in America for obvious reasons. To me, that is the the uh, the dog that did not bark, just like these people who are shutting down the archives of the record. So there is a lot of incentive by both parties to keep this process uh, where they can rig it, I think, and, and not to uh, have an audit process. But that's a great idea, uh, the blockchain. And I would just add this, too. Uh, you know, when we look at uh, people calling for democracy and calling for direct democracy and votes, understand that you see that in a free market. You know, the Democrats are really the most undemocratic of parties because they want all the decisions in your life made by some official in a centralized location. Whereas when you are voting in a marketplace, and each one of us, when we go about our daily lives, whenever we decide to eat at this place versus that place, we're, we're voting. Or we decide to pick this product off of the shelf instead of that product off of the shelf, we vote. And that constant feedback is always improving the private market. But when you go with the Democrat Party, they want everything to be dictated to you from a centrally located position. They shouldn't even call themselves Democrats. Progressives, uh, that's another misnomer as well. Liberals also. Uh, let's just call them what they are. Statists, communists, who want everything centrally planned from the Central Committee. All right, thank you so much, Hans. When we come back, we've got some more callers. Uh, hang on, we're going to be going back to McKinsey, to Josh in Oregon. We'll be right back. I'm David Knight. You're listening to Real News with David Knight. In a world of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And now, your host, David Knight. Welcome back. I'm David Knight. I'm taking your phone calls, your hopes and expectations for 2018. If you want to call in, that number is 888-201-2244. That's 888-201-2244. Let's go to McKinsey in South Carolina. Go ahead, McKinsey. Oh, yeah, hello. I just wanted to talk about, first, before we get to my topic, the topic about the first call is basically nothing's going to happen unless they roll back the Commerce Clause and how they've abused the Commerce Clause up and down to just up the power of the government, which is right crazy. 
because the government yeah. should not be this powerful. Yeah, I hear them all the time appeal to the Commerce Clause as justification for the war on drugs, to which I would point out that the Commerce Clause was there before we had the Bill of Rights. As a matter of fact, it was things like that that got people who were anti-federalists concerned that we're going to have too much consolidation of power in Washington. So we had the Ninth and Tenth Amendment to make it very clear that if you aren't explicitly given the power to do something, you don't have it in Washington. It's retained by the states that created the federal government as well as the people who created uh, both the states and the federal government. So that isn't an excuse. And clearly the Commerce Clause was there when we had alcohol prohibition, for example. Uh, they still found it necessary to have a constitutional amendment to give them the power to prohibit alcohol. And then there's another amendment to take it away. So we got about a tenth of the amendments are there to uh, give them the power or to take away the power to prohibit things. And yet... When it comes to marijuana or to other things, they maintain that they have the right to uh, tell us what we can and cannot put into our bodies. That is a very dangerous assumption of power by the federal government because, as I've said before, many conservatives who would support the war on drugs because they understand or see it as something that is harmful to people's health uh, also don't like being mandated to have vaccines. And it's the same principle. If you're going to have people tell you what you can and cannot put in your body. They will dictate certain things that you must put in your body. And so that's uh, where they're going to give themselves the uh, power for mandatory vaccines. But uh, go ahead, Mackenzie. What else did you want to say? Yeah, basically, one of my hopes from the team is they stop feeding propaganda to the LGBTQ community about how they're being genocided by Trump and whatnot. Well, no. And they say, well, trans people are like the most highly rated killed, even though it had higher suicide rates. A lot of times you can go to thank God for public records and go to the public record site for your county and see, oh, she was killed by a pimp instead of, oh, being killed for a hate crime or whatever. Lies, yeah. literal lies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, when we look at this, we look at the uh, – uh, that's what's going on with with the uh, LGBT agenda and so forth, especially with the tranny agenda. I think that's a very different thing when we're looking at it in nature. I mean, we've seen this played out in the last year or two. Uh, this fight over the definition of marriage. Whenever we see, let's say, rights come into conflict between two different groups, and I think where they went wrong on this, uh, certainly uh, the Supreme Court did not have the legal authority to mandate a definition of marriage, but I think rather than uh, redefining it at the federal level or redefining it at any level, just have a situation where you could address it and say, well, we're not going to have the government define what it is. People can make contracts, and we'll do that for everybody. Because we didn't always have the government involved in marriage. That was something that came about because uh, people wanted to have those records recorded, and they would do it in the local uh, churches. They would write down marriages and births and that sort of thing. So the government became the keeper of records in that. But they could still keep the records without having certain conditions and requirements. We could have had a situation that would have preserved to a much greater degree people's liberty, but they did it in the wrong way as well. But the thing that's completely different about this, I think, Mackenzie, and see what what you think, is the, the tranny agenda. I mean, when you're talking to kids in kindergarten about gender fluidity, then I think what you are doing is selling a pedophile agenda. I don't think it has anything to do with any kind of sexual freedom because we're not talking about consenting adults. We're talking about kids in kindergarten. If you're going to be able to confuse them about their gender, and if you're going to be able to maintain that they can make decisions about their gender, then they can consent to sex as well. That's, I think, what is ultimately behind this uh, transgender agenda that is being sold in uh, kindergartens and elementary schools and so forth. Yeah, that's literally insane. Like, I'm in South Carolina, so I don't have that. 
but like in places like New York, I don't know how you have literal drag queens dressed in like horns and stuff, like literal Satan trying to talk to kids. And I'm like, what in the world is this? That would be a lawsuit. Anybody here would sue the heck out of that school school district for doing that. And I'm like, we have normal trans people who just want to be you know, accepted by society and not be told what they want, told what they can do with their bodies. And then we have the activists who want to confuse everybody, which I think is a product of the long march through the institutions, which people like mm-hmm. to deny around here, even though it literally happened. And that's why universities are mainly communists. Well, yeah, they, they have people that are uh, using this to promote their political agenda, and they've been selling communism for a very long time, but uh, uh, they're getting very good at it. And they're shut. the key thing is, is that they're shutting down all dissent, and that's what I talked about earlier uh, in the program. I, I think uh, that that really is a, a danger that we face, and I've got somebody here also who wants to talk about uh, political correctness from Pennsylvania. I want to skip over to him. Thank you, uh, McKenzie in South Carolina. Let's go to Sean in Pennsylvania. You want to talk about uh, political correctness. Go ahead. Hi, David. Hi. Hi. Um. Um. Great show. I've been a uh, fan since you you started Real News, and just uh, nice to be on. Well, but, thank um, you. Thank you for calling in. Um. What I what I want what I think is going to happen this year is more of the same. I mean, this uh, political correct uh, culture, whatever you want to call it, is just going to keep continuing and continuing getting worse and worse and uh I think it's very worrisome. Um I'm in my thirties now and I do not ever remember anything like this when I was in school. Well it's a it's a, a tactic of control. And and it's something that they've been they've been doing this since I was in school to one degree or the other. Uh the leftist professors and the uh uh, you know, playing the race card and so forth and so on, male versus female. This is something they've been doing for quite a long time, but it is getting more and more prevalent. And I think what you're seeing now is, is when I was in school, it was something that was new and it wasn't really getting traction. But when you work on kids from the time they're in preschool to the time they're in graduate school, then it makes a big difference because that's the world that they live in. And, you know, just like I was talking to McKinsey before, if you're going to turn, if, if you have a situation in a school where they are trying to gender confuse your kindergartner and you find out about it and you leave your child there, that's your problem. That's your problem. You should be taking responsibility for that. You know, we had, uh, when I was growing up, it was impossible to homeschool your kids. As a matter of fact, one of the founders of the Libertarian Party, Carl Hess, he was a speechwriter for uh, Barry Goldwater, he was the one who came up with that line, uh, extremism in defense of liberty is no vice and moderation in pursuit of um, uh, justice, whatever, is is no virtue. I, I don't have the quote exactly right, but he was the guy who came up with that. He's this ponytailed libertarian with an, a ring in his ear, okay? <laughs> he was in like his uh, 70s when I, when I met him. Uh, but he was a guy who his wife, his, his wife, his mother, when he was growing up, uh, wanted him to be homeschooled because she wanted him to think independently. And he did. Believe me, he was an independent thinker. And what she would do to avoid the uh, the truancy laws, she would skip around from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, one step ahead of being arrested because she didn't have her kid in the government school. She refused to allow the government to propagandize and control her child. 
She took the responsibility, even facing a jail term. And, you know, we had people in the 70s and 80s. I remember when homeschoolers were fighting for their right to homeschool. And I remember situations where CPS would come and get in a conflict with somebody in the family, and they would call in law enforcement. You would have uh, homeschooling dads who would get shot over things like that. That happened. That happened. And so when I look at this and I say, you know, we have a very important right that people have fought for. Why are we not exercising it when we see the government coming in and trying to control our kids, leading them into a situation of uh, pedophiles and um, making this possible with the transgender agenda that they're that they're using on these kids in kindergarten that's something that parents need to take responsibility for liberty and your kids are something that's worth fighting for you've got those freedoms use them don't lose them stay with us we'll be right back you're listening to real news with david knight get back to the news here in a moment. Before we do, real quickly, I want to remind you of some of the items that we have on sale at InfoWarsStore.com. 50% off and more on our most popular items, plus free shipping. Let me give you some of the items that are on sale. Super Male Vitality, Brain Force Plus, both of those, 50% off plus free shipping. Also, Vitamin Mineral Fusion Drink Mix. That's a great way to take your vitamins and minerals without having to swallow a lot of pills. That's 50% off with free shipping. Also, all Super Blue products. That's our toothpaste and mouthwash with no fluoride, but it has the good halogen, iodine, and nano silver. I don't think you're going to find any toothpaste anywhere that has nano silver except for Super Blue. It's a great way to kill the bacteria in your mouth as well as uh, that's going to create uh, gum disease, tooth loss, and then heart disease. Uh, so that's a, if you haven't tried our Super Blue toothpaste, this is a great time to try it. 50% off plus free shipping. Also, Secret 12, our vitamin B12, and all InfoWars Life Select products are 50% off plus free shipping. And some of our newest products are discounted. Carnivore and Floralife are 33% off with free shipping. And the Real Red Pill, Cell Force, and Alpha Power are all 50% off plus free shipping. Take a look at the sales that we have at InfoWarsStore.com. We really do appreciate your support. And right now we have massive discounts plus free shipping on our most popular products. All right, let's take a look at uh, uh, the news here. We had I, I went ahead and uh, let the uh, callers off. We had some people who were waiting. I apologize uh, for those of you, but there's some items here that I really wanted to cover uh, as we come into the new year, and one of the callers that we had earlier, we lost him on the line, was from Oregon. I wanted to ask him about this new law in Oregon. You know, I've been there several times in the last couple of years. I went there a couple of times for vacation. Beautiful area. Love the Oregon-Washington state area. But it was kind of strange in Oregon. Uh, also went a couple of times uh, to cover stories about loggers and miners and ranchers who were losing their property rights. Uh, but when you go there, they had laws that would re require you not to pump your gas. You couldn't pump your own gas. You had to get somebody there to do it. And now they have a new law that comes in with the new year uh, that uh, will allow counties, allow counties with 40,000 residents or fewer to pump their own gas. I guess once you get over 40,000 people, they lose the ability to pump their own gas. Uh, but uh, <laughs> this, is, this is something that I think everybody else 
And the other 49 states kind of look at and scratch their head. It's like, uh, I, I can't pump my own gas here. Uh, and they say Oregonians are not pleased about the change. One woman says, I don't even know how to pump gas. And I'm 62. I'm a native Oregonian. And I say, no, thanks. Okay, well, it's a thing. there's a thing called the free market. And we used to have things called service stations before the gas lines of the uh, OPEC crisis that was manufactured. And I'm sure that there are people in uh, that have filling stations in Oregon that see a market opportunity with people like the 62-year-old woman who doesn't know how a gas pump works and could care less to learn how that uh, gas pump works. That's a perfect example. But I think it's also another example of people who get lulled into a kind of helpless statism. And while we're talking about gas and while we're talking about uh, the cyber stuff, I want to talk about two other things that I see coming up on the horizon. I've talked about it many times, the self-driving cars, and taking away our ability to drive when and where we want in the means of which we want to drive, having that freedom. It really is a very important freedom, and something else that goes along with it, because it's all part of the government taking over control of our lives, making us very passive, as we see here with this example in Oregon. People who have lost the ability to pump their own gas. And when we look at universal basic income, I think it's taking us down that same path. CNBC, of course, thinks it's a good thing. And so they write another, yet another program. We're seeing this increasingly talked about, universal basic income. It used to be called socialism. We used to have economists like Charles Murray writing books called Losing Ground. He understood that even though we had welfare that was there to help poor people, uh, that what it was doing was making them helplessly uh, hopelessly and uh, hopelessly dependent on government and making them helpless. And he talked about uh, that whole idea, losing ground. It became the basis for welfare reform under the Reagan administration. But now you have economists like that, Charles Murray, pushing the idea of universal basic income because they see the day coming where they're going to take away our ability to earn a living. There are going to be a few elites like uh, Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk and others who will have all the means of production. They won't need you. They will have an army of robots. I guess the question is, who will buy their products? Well, they're going to keep you on a uh, passive welfare roll, getting a pile of cash each month from the government, as CNBC points out. No strings attached, they say. No, it isn't going to cost you anything except your freedom, your dignity, your self-respect, your self-reliance. That's what it will cost you. Universal basic income. And... uh It's being pushed by the IMF. It's being pushed by people in Silicon Valley like Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. They think it's just great because it'll keep you pacified until they can soft kill you. That's what this is really about. Just understand where this is headed. And it already began in Finland. 2017, this last year, 2,000 unemployed people will receive $665 each month for two years. This is a universal basic income is something that is coming to everybody throughout the world. This is something that they're pushing as a means of control and pacification. So in light of that, I want to give you an idea of what we're leaving behind as we move forward to a future where we have no jobs, but they give us money so that we can sit there on the couch and play video games and text each other and uh, make comments on Facebook, and that's all we ever do. So they can pacify us. And there was an article, an editorial, as a matter of fact, from uh, one of the editors of Car and Driver. 
They said the car was not invented in America, but we invented what the car meant. He said, uh, we made it ours. And we're not talking here about technological innovation like vehicle mass production or interchangeable parts or electric starter. He goes, yeah, those are all American. But Europeans can claim uh, that they had many achievements like unibody construction, disc brakes, etc. Okay, But what he's talking about here is not the device itself. And this is what people can't understand. When we start talking about autonomous cars, they get caught up in the technology of it. They say, oh, this is this is great. You know, many engineers do the same thing, too. They lose sight of the bigger picture. And this guy, who's an editor for Car and Driver, gets it. He said, we invented what the car meant. We're the ones who built our dreams around it. He said, the car gave Americans the ability to envision ourselves on the road in faraway places or destinations that were wholly up to us. Before the car, most people had never traveled faster than a galloping horse, except for a few people who had been on trains. But cars are very different from trains, or even horses, because they're completely under our control, and that mattered. And that's the first thing about the future that they want to take away from us. They want to take our control. Understand that... Taking away the automobile, the ownership of the automobile, the freedom to go where you want, when you want, that is an essence of control. They talk about when they take over a country, the military looks at you've got to control uh, the, pe- the way people move. That's the very first thing. Control the way they move. Then control whether or not they can shoot. Then control whether or not they can communicate. You are aware, all of you are aware of the efforts to control our communication and to control our ability to shoot, to defend ourselves. But most people are not aware or awake to the move that they are making against our ability to move about freely. And he goes on to say, cars enabled and embodied mankind's freedom to dream and to do. Cars individuated and empowered us. One could even argue that space exploration germinated with that because it made explorers out of all of us. I remember when I was a kid taking a a vacation, a car trip, but that was a... (laughs) <laughs> that was an interesting uh, thing to go cross-country when you didn't have interstates and you had uh, uh, paper maps and you had to uh, work that out as you're going. But he also points out the car created another kind of comfort, too. It gave people the ability to – it created the middle class. It created mobility. It allowed us to live where we wanted to live instead of forcing us to live in the city. And all of that, all of that is in the crosshairs of the – Automated car. Taking away our ability to live where we want. Taking away our ability to earn income. That's what we're talking about with universal basic income. These are the things that we have to be aware of as we move forward to the future. Their plan is to pacify us. Their plan is to concentrate us into controlled areas and to take away our freedom to move. To take away our freedom, as he points out here, to expand the wealth that created a societal prosperity, a middle class of Americans who could pay for the things that they made. So the car was at the center of America. Uh, We invented what the car meant. And when they take that away, they're going to be taking away our freedom, our control, our liberty, our self-respect, our ability to earn income. And then they will put us on welfare. Don't let that happen. All right, that concludes our broadcast. Thank you for listening. I'm David Knight.